Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society, we are trying something a little different or actually doing it interview style. We've got Don Sutcliffe in from the Exceptional Whiskey Now. They came in and did a normal Whiskey Society on a Monday night with our usual large and enthusiastic group of whiskey lovers. But Andrew, our podcast producer, was not available to be there that evening. So we didn't get to record it. So we asked Don to come back on a Thursday afternoon when no one's around, just me and Stephanie in here cleaning the bar. So trying new things. It's always good to try new things. We've been out this Whiskey Society. The podcast has been out for almost a year. October we started. Yes. We've been doing the same thing every time. It's always in front of a live audience, which is novel and wonderful and interactive. But we've never done like normal podcast style, like two guys sitting in a cave. Drinking drinking whiskey. That's normal podcast style. We're going to try normal style tonight. Because we want to talk to you, Don. What's going on with your whiskey here? This is a really interesting story, I think, because uh, in terms of... There's some private label single malt scotches that are coming to market. You've got the Duncan Taylors out there and the Mackay Whites and, you know, uh, Caden Heads. Like, amazing people who are buying whiskey and bringing it to market, often barrel by barrel or super limited uh, releases. But you actually have partnered with some distilleries and you actually create these blends with the contacts you have with a few different distillers. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so my partner in this project uh, is Willie Phillips. And Willie was the managing director of the Macallan for 23 years. There wasn't a bottle of Macallan sold outside of Scotland when Willie started. And uh, I was fortunate to be part of the team that helped introduce the Macallan in the U.S. back in the mid-80s. And so you were working as a brand ambassador before no, there were was, brand ambassadors? I was actually a, a regional vice president for Remy Martin. Oh, wow. And, and we had ownership uh, in, in the brand. So we were the U.S. importer, as well as we had a, a chunk of, of uh, investment in it. And so uh, in 1985, I'm going to say we sold 500 cases of the Macallan in the United States total. Wow, that is crazy. And that was back in the days of Golden Promise, a totally different varietal of malted barley than what yep. they're making Macallan out of nowadays, right? Yep. Yep. Totally different whiskey. And, uh, and of course, it was all sherry cask exclusively. I mean, Macallan was sherry cask only. Uh, and so um, I, I really just got engaged with Scotland at that time. And uh, I decided uh, in 1987, after my first trip there, that somehow or other for the rest of my life, I was going to be engaged with Scotland and hopefully whiskey. And as it turns out, uh, Willie and I developed a lifelong friendship. We always wanted to do a project together. And over the years, it took us 30 years to get there. And and over those years, things would come up, you know, opportunities. And uh, we thought, well, you know, it they never seemed to work out. And in 2010, so my day job was managing director of craft distillers. And we had created a couple brands in the U.S. Um, uh, Hangar One Vodka was, was a brand we created and then sold in 2010. And at that time, uh, Willie called me in 2010 and said, I've got a group of investors. We're going to buy a distillery. Will you run our North American business? And I said, absolutely. So I set up all the import licenses and, and, and such. And, and, and they had to do due diligence at the end of about nine months when the deal was supposed to happen. It fell through and it was Tamdu Distillery, which Edrington 
you know, then sold, then it sold to someone else. And at that time, so 2010, I, uh, by then it's 2011. And I said to Willie, well, if we're going to do anything, uh, we better get to it because uh, at that point in time, uh, let's say I'm 67 now. So, so that was, so I was almost 60 years old. Uh, and uh, Willie's 10 year, uh, 12 years older than I am. So I said, we, we better get to it. So I flew to Scotland and sat down with Willie. And I thought, look, if we're going to engage in a project, it has to be something that, that's distinctive and, and different. Um, and of course, having uh, worked with the Macallan in, in the mid-80s, selling single malt whiskey uh, was was a challenge. I mean, people now say, well, McAllen, how tough could it have been? But the fact is, you'd walk into a market or a restaurant, you'd say, I've got this. And the guy would say, uh, gee, I, I already have a single malt. Why do I, you know, one why, single yeah, malt would have been enough. Enough. Or occasionally, I've got two, you know, and, and, and that one's more expensive. And so it was a project getting people from traditional blended scotch whiskey, which, by the way, Traditional blended Scotch whiskey was was and still is the bulk of the Scotch whiskey business, but it is created to be traditional blended Scotch whiskey is created to be cost efficient and constant. It's generally young neutral grain whiskey with uh, any given blender's house malts style malts to give the flavor profile, right. and it's made to produce quantity. Therefore, the consistency matters, right? Mm -hmm. And so you don't get much complexity, and you're not really using the components for it for you know, 85% of the product is neutral, right? And then your flavor profile is about 15%. Of course, then then in the 80s, when single malts started to really come on the scene uh, internationally, uh, and, and people then started to understand uh, that Scotland has probably the largest variety of flavor profiles of whiskey of any country in the world. Uh, because they've got, you know, island whiskeys, they've got Highland, they've got Speyside, you've got all these flavor profiles. Uh, but they never, so, so single malts allowed consumers to see that. And, and these were more single, specific, distinctive based on geography and, and location, and then wood and age. So when I flew to Scotland and said to Willie, look, if we're going to do something, we need to do something that brings value to the category. And so the idea, which at the time I called Project B, <laughs> uh, was to do something uh, that added value. Now, why is it called Project B? Project well, A sucked. because Project A, Project A had been buying Tamdu Distillery. Oh, right, and that fell through, and I had everything set up. Oh, so, so, Plan B. Okay. So, okay. It, so when I flew over, it was, it, it, you know, and I came back and I do all my notes on the flight back, and I, you know, title it Plan B. And then after the third time over on the flight back, uh, I can't, it, we decided on the name, which we'll talk about in a sec. But um, so I said to Willie, look, why don't we do essentially what we did in the 80s, which was to bring a new category uh, and stylistic distinctiveness. And what if we make small batch uh, blended scotch whiskey, not to be cost efficient, not to be constant but in fact to be the best whiskey you can make each and every time you make it, utilizing the best whiskeys available and also using every component, bringing something to the profile, as opposed to, as I say, in traditional blends, you have most of it is there for age and, 
uh, and alcohol. You use the neutral grain right? spirit as kind of the body so and then they, flavor the body with these different single use, malts. But, kind but of. we, in fact, use our grain whiskey okay. we, uh, to be a, a component other than those things. Age, uh, wood, uh, nose, all of those things. So we, we in fact, and, and I think whiskey, uh, excuse me, I think Willie at that time, he agreed uh, to go forward with the project. I'm not sure at the time he was convinced that it was that uh, potentially, particularly with grain, potentially viable, uh, but he felt guilty having dragged me into this, getting licenses. So we went to uh, blenders uh, and brokers and, in fact, grain producers uh, who who were quite supportive, mostly uh, because Willie Phillips having been managing director of McAllen for all those years, was really well-respected in the industry. For sure. So that allowed us access to essentially all of the distilleries. All of the distilleries uh, will work with us and allow us access. Now, the one difference, you mentioned, you know, the independent bottlers coming out and the Gordon McPhails and the, um, well, all of those guys. Most of, up until recently, all of them were simply doing independent bottlings of single distilleries okay and and that's at, at the time i thought what's the value there i mean other i mean there is value for a consumer to do but it's nothing different you can the reason there's availability of all those different distilleries is that the whiskey business is a blending business and so distilleries make their um cash flow on new make whiskey mm-hmm. so every year they make whiskey, sell it to blenders who buy it, put it in their own casks, sit it in their warehouse, and they use it to blend. And then uh, they keep as much as they can for their own uh, brand. And of course, now it's, it, it's really changed where, you know, all of these single malt distilleries uh, essentially can, you know, sell as much as they can, they can make. But that's not always, hasn't always been true. It's always been a cycle. So you find all of these, uh, it's the only country where this is true. You find McAllen sitting in warehouses, uh, all all the blenders' warehouses that they use to blend. Mm-hmm. They, they bought it new, new make whiskey, put it in their casks, and it's sitting there. And that allows people to buy those whiskey. So independent bottlers then bottle, you know, McAllen. Sure, so there's a lot of whiskey trading going on between distilleries it, it, all the time. Exactly. So my at that time, uh, my concept was simply, why don't we make great whiskey, blended great? whiskey, which is the value-added portion of it. Um, you have, uh, to me, complexity is the one thing that was always missing in, in Scotch whiskey. The people who should be doing that were the blenders, but they weren't. They were doing it to be cost-efficient, constant, do house style, because if you're going to do large quantity, you can't make compl- complex whiskeys because you're trying to keep something constant and fill the shelves with large quantity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by doing something small, and buying whiskeys that have interesting characteristics, uh, because you're, when you blend in this format, you're not looking to blend to, to find, in, in this case, uh, I think there's six, six whiskeys are, are, are grain. Um, okay. you're, not, you're not looking to find six standalone great whiskeys. You're looking for, in this case, six whiskeys that have particular characteristics that are interesting. It, be it nose, be it texture, be it flavor profile, be it, you know, a structure. Uh, and, and that's the art of blending. And so the value added was simply that, is, is having 
whiskey uh, that's complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so this is the exceptional grain and one of your three uh, marks here that you guys put out. So this is all neutral grain spirit from different distilleries. You said six different distilleries. So this is a blend of, this is our third edition uh, of the uh, exceptional grain. Okay. And this is a blend of six-year-old Loch Lomond distillery, which is a blend of uh, wheat, mostly wheat and corn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, North British distillery, which is all corn, nine-year-old and 14-year-old. Strathclyde, which was mostly wheat, uh, 20 years old. 33-year-old Cars Bridge, which was wheat. And 34-year-old Cameron Bridge, which was wheat. Blend, and we marry those in first fill sherry cask for, uh, in this case, these were all six months. Uh, and, and you're really not using it for aging. You're using it for that finish. And, and the sherry, I love sherry. Uh, it gives that little sweet and dry at both the front and the end. Um, and so this was our first uh, entree into the market, the grain. And we did that for, because it's the, it's, it's the item in the category that had not yet been really built. Uh, and the only person in 2000, and this was our first release was 2013. But in 2010 till 2013, the only person that was doing it uh, was John Glazer with Compass Box. Mm-hmm. And it, as my day job, which was craft distillers, we happened to have been uh, his first marketing company uh, in 2001. Uh, and when I tasted hedonism, the very first bottling, I still have one bottle of that left. It was it, perhaps the most amazing whiskey experience I had ever had because I'd certainly had many, many whiskeys. I've been in the business for 40 years. And I, I have a whiskey palate, but it was so unique. And, and it's two things. One is, for me, it's much more of an American palate because it's grain whiskey, which most American whiskey is grain whiskey. And it's softer, uh, sweeter, generally speaking. Uh, but at that time in particular, John... Uh, was the only one doing it. He was finding just some old, incredible grain whiskeys. And to me, the best whiskey, uh, most amazing whiskey in the world is old grain that has been aged really well because it has this ethereal characteristic to it, which is a combination of light and airy, uh, deep and complex at the same time. Well, let's get into some food words. So, so stick your nose in that glass. Light and airy, but what is it? A fruit? Is it a earthy smell? Is it a leaf well, from a tree? Okay, so a combination. So that that as any old whiskey. So for instance, the thirty-four year Cameron Bridge that's in here brings that really ethereal character. Some some actually, from an aromatic standpoint, which doesn't come totally through here. Some violets and some real floral sense to it. I get so again the purpose of these six different distilleries, different mash bills, different ages, uh, gives you layers of flavor. So for the nose. I get some floral notes, but it's also, I get a nice leathery tone on here. Some citrus. I get like a lemon and rose. Yeah. What I find uh, interesting and unique in, in grain whiskey is uh, the depth and the complexity that's, that's in this. It's, mm-hmm. Which is really hard to do with grain because n- not 
so as as most of the people who would be watching this know, uh, in Scotland, the two types of whiskeys, grain whiskey, uh, is distilled on a on a column still to a higher alcohol, so it's more neutral, you mm-hmm. know, coming out uh, versus malt, which is on a pot still, uh, which is lower alcohol, longer time, more flavorful. And the majority of the grain whiskey that's produced is produced intentionally. Uh, to be aged for three years in very neutral casts to not have any flavor profile. So it's only recently that they're actually, and so John Glazer was the one who actually started playing with, uh, you know, bourbon cask staves uh, because the Scotch uh, industry wasn't really excited about him screwing around with what was being done. But uh, my my palate is much more, I, I really enjoy the sherry characteristic. So, uh, and you know. this has a lot of sherry on it, no bourbon casks on it? Well, on the- uh, all of them uh, were used bourbon casks for aging. Mm-hmm. The only sherry in this is uh, at the end was, of the was finishing. The, yeah, was, was the finishing. Yeah, I'm getting beautiful vanilla tones vanilla. off of it. Yeah. It's very, very easy sipper, like butter and lemon. It's very, very beautiful. Um, if I was going to get a bottle of this for my liquor store, my local liquor store, where how much would that run? It's uh, well, hundred dollars a bottle is is regular retail. I think you know. I I live in Orange County. Uh, High Time has it for ninety ninety bucks or something like Beautiful. that. Beautiful, some wonderful stuff. The exceptional grain whiskey, the third edition from the Exceptional Whiskey Company. So that first came out. Your first edition came out in two thousand. The, the end of 2000, we bottled 2013. It was okay. released in the U.S. Uh, beginning of 2014. And I think we, were, we helped launch that you, right it, here. It, exactly. Right in this room. Exactly. It's a beautiful um, thing. Matter of fact, you had a, a young lady working with you at the time, Lindo. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew her from her job from high at High Time. Okay. And I had run into her uh, as, a, as a whiskey guy, but I, but I shopped at High Time. I went to school at UC Irvine. I started shopping at high time in 1970 from wine. I was really into wine. Uh, and so I would always go in and kind of listen. And Lynn, of, of a lot of old timers there and a lot of guys, you know, uh, talking about whiskey. And Lynn uh, was was kind of theoretically out of place in this, right? And I would always listen to her talk, be on the next dial. And I'd listen to her talking to people about whiskey and uh it was a couple of times i hadn't talked to her yet and i came in and uh just said to her one day she was over i said can i say something to you i said i i, I listen to you talk about whiskey and i said you t- you understand and talk about whiskey in a way that is at a much deeper level than than any of these other people and i said i i really appreciate it she didn't know yet i was you know, the whis- a whiskey guy. And, and she said, well, well thank you. Because she wasn't particularly, um, she was a little shy, you know. And uh, and then I said, you know, oh, and I, I make whiskey. And she says, what? And I said, you know, the acceptment pointed. She goes, oh, you make the acceptment? She says, I haven't tried it yet, but that's everybody. So we tasted it. She was very thoughtful and she paid attention to it. She just kind of, you know, she made some some simple, straightforward comments about it. Right, and she said, "This is really very good." And at the time, it was just the grain. I went home, and she was doing a a, a blog, uh, Anorak, something uh, whiskey Anorak, whiskey Anorak, right? That's, that's her Insta handle. Yeah, and and well, at the time, it was it was she was doing a, a blog, right? 
she sent me a note saying, if you get a chance, look at my review. And it was about a three-page single-space review. Probably one of the most intelligent uh, pieces of writing I've seen oh, yeah. in a long time. She's a magnificent artist, too. Not only does she give you amazing tasting notes, she often does these sketches to go along with her tasting notes that are mind-blowing. Exactly. When we hired her here at Bar Jackalope, she was attending Whiskey Society meetings with these books that she was drawing in and taking yep. tasting notes at all these different events. And we finally persuaded her to actually come work here. And now she's off doing her, pursuing her art full time. Yeah. And, and, she, and she was she's, in, she's in Scotland. She's at Glenfiddich. Mm -hmm. We're doing she's a been doing residencies at different uh, yeah, distilleries. Terrific. But what I, what I really appreciated about her is that she connected uh, her whiskey uh, intellect uh, and expression to several uh, of the art form, right? So she made comparisons to opera, to mm -hmm. literature, uh, to, that were really, really insightful and, and, and smart. And, you know, and I told her, I said, you know, it took me, you know, a long time because I had to go to the dictionary. And, you know, I had to, and, you know, and there was some literature she compared to. So uh, anyway, I don't know how I got onto this, but. Uh, You're talking about. Seeing Lynn down at high time. She's yeah. a legend. It's cool. But uh, this, so the grain was our entree. And uh, no one else except for John Glazer with Hiddenism had done it. And we were fortunate to have been really, really well received uh, on the grain. And because no one else was really doing it, uh, it kind of gave us a standing, for lack of better terms. Yeah. Uh, and then when did you come out with your second mark here? So the malt, uh, the first malt, uh, blended malt, we released at the end of 2015, or the beginning of 2016, I think. And uh, it's a blend of, uh, well, it's a blend of just simply uh, single malts. This is the second edition, okay? And this is a blend of, and you'll have to, excuse me, I'll go through it, but you know, I'm 67 years old and I'm starting to slip on these. Plus, I've, this is, I've got uh, two different ones plus a third one that I've been working on and, and I'm pulling this stuff. So uh, this is a blend of a, a vatted barrel of eight-year-old uh, Glenfiddich Belveni Canenby, uh eight-year-old Alta Benny, eight-year-old Glenfarclas, uh, Ben Nevis. We have three uh, barrels of Ben Nevis, uh, 12, 20, and 21-year-old. Um, fourteen-year-old uh, Westport, which is Glen Morangie. Uh, twenty-two-year-old Glenallachy, twenty-two-year-old Othrusk, twenty-five-year-old Speyside, and thirty-year-old Macallan. And we were very fortunate because Willie uh, had put down a barrel of Macallan for himself in the eighties, uh, and we—he's uh, since it's his project as well. Uh, we use that and. Uh, and then, for, again, six months in Firstville Sherry. Beautiful. So the exceptional malt from the exceptional whiskey company. And, and so whereas the grain uh, is kind of subtle, uh, nuanced complexity because it's softer, it's grain, uh, but still very complex and a grain richness, this is much more robust and flavorful simply oh, because yeah. it's with malts. Yeah, a vatted malt. So and, technically it's a vatted malt. Right. One of the great categories of single malt scotch. Which is no longer a category of single malt scotch. Right. It's now blended malt. Blended uh, malt. But it's what we all know to be vatted malt. Vatted malt in the past. 
So as I stick my nose in this glass, I get a lot of nuttiness off of this one for sure, like cashew and lemon and even like maybe a cheesy note in there, like maybe a cheddar, some yeah, apple and I, notes. And, and, and I get a bit of um, anise. Oh, nice. What do you uh, get, Andrew? I get a really strong caramel note on okay. the nose. But you guys aren't doing any chill filtering on this, are you? No, no chill filtering, all and, natural color. Yeah, no coloring and, going on and, in there. And interestingly, um, this is one of those things. As I evolve the packaging, one of the great things about this project for me is that I've always worked for and build brands, other people's uh, products. This is the first time that I do it myself. And I'm not a marketing guy. I'm not a production guy. I'm not. I designed the bottle, I designed the label, I blend the whiskey with Willie. Uh, so I got to do it all the way I want. And it's a very straight, the label is, it's my dog on the label. It's a Westie uh, who passed away. Uh, oh. Gilly was 14, year old, 14 years old. But Well, let's I have a to toast be, to Gilly. I wanted it to be. Choose to, to Gilly. Gilly. When did uh, Gilly pass? In 2013. All right. So, uh, whereas the, the, the first, uh, the grain is, is kind of nuanced and soft because it's grain. And this is more robust and flavorful. Uh, we use Highland and Speyside. Uh, I'm not a peat fan, although there is a little bit of peat in this, which kind of came about and surprised me after the fact. Um, interestingly enough, when I blended it's these. more like a Highland-style peat, though. It's yeah, not yeah, super well, inky and so, so like a maritime peat to me. No, exactly. There's Because no, that's the other thing. I'm not a big I'm not a big um, uh, island fan. Uh, I don't this the saltiness and the air, the, you know, the uh, that even that texture. Um, I'm I'm not a big fan because those are very uh, can be very aggressive, uh, both uh, nose and, and and flavor profiles. And I like I don't like things in my face. I like more uh, nuance and and so alcohol. They're all forty three percent. Okay, mm -hmm. for me that's kind of the perfect balance for me. I don't like alcohol in my face. I like it to be structural. Uh, the peat, you know, so when I think there are 11 components in that, uh, that I named. Uh, when we did the blending, have 11 distillates, right? There wasn't a note of peat in any one of them. Zero, right? We, we marry it in a cask. And a month into it, we go to the cask and do this, and it is, boom. I mean, it's it's major, right? There, there's peat, and I, I just went, somebody screwed up. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, that's what I thought. Somebody poured, and Willie said, well, hold off. Uh, and I said, let's get rid of it, because as I say, I, you know, I just said, I don't like peat. And, uh, he said, well, Don, a little patience. Wait and see where it turns. So I went back and looked into it, try to figure out, why? And, and my assumption at this point now, after looking at it, is both Glenallachy and Ben Nevis lightly peat their malt, okay? but very lightly, right? And it is that Highland Speyside peat, okay? But so my assumption is, because I had three parts of it are Ben Nevis, three casks, and one part's Glenallachy, is that as individuals, it didn't show up. But as four parts of a component of 11 parts, even the, you know, whatever the per percentages are, it rose to some level where it became, you know, obvious. Now, six months, the level dropped dramatically. And then we bottled and it dropped uh, even more. Interesting. Now, uh, it's there. 
it's 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 a very subtle it's, to me. It's subtle. I'm getting like oranges and chocolate, ah. some stewed fruit, yeah, yeah. some nuts. Um, so so this is the thing that I like about blended malt. I have to say the grain is I'm a you know it it it's probably my favorite because it's the first one we did, the hardest to do and such. The malt's the easiest for people to understand. Uh, but Christmas cake. I mean, I'm a big Christmas cake guy in whiskey. That's what I want. I want something that has that wonderful background of cereal cake-like and then has, it can express, and it's the thing I like, the type of complexity that's layers. doesn't all come at you at once. You come back to this. I'm a cigar smoker. I, I love a great aged Cuban cigar because it's a, it's a, it's a trip. It's, it's, it evolves over time, right? Mm-hmm. In a glass of whiskey that does the same thing, and you, and you get a different, an evolutionary experience along, you know, because it's like which one of these goes best with a particular cigar? Well, you know what? For, in most cases, they all go pretty well with a cigar and because they bring out different notes. You know, there's certain cigars that have a little sweet to them. Well, when you're drinking the grain, that steps up, you know. So anyway. I really like the malt myself. That's beautiful. It's very full body. The sherry comes through very strong. Subtle peat. It's rich. It's long. It lingers. It's mature. It's nice. It's got a great mouthfeel, too. It's just very creamy. One one of the things that we also uh, do that is kind of neither here nor there other than it matters, uh, we descend to proof over the course of time at barrel rather than at bottling, okay? And we actually found this out because of uh, our brandy business. Uh, we, we were Jermaine Roban, craft distillers. We were Jermaine Roban brandy. And descend, learned to descend to proof over, in, in that case, years uh, Interesting. In, in, in barrel. So putting water in the barrels and then waiting. Well, yeah, so... so in, in the case of Jermaine Roban, in our case, so it's six months. So we would take it down a few points because the blend is probably, in, in any of these, it's somewhere in the, in the high f- mid to high 50s uh, when it's married, right? Um, and then you start bringing it down. If you bring it down simply at bottling, have you ever noticed there can oftentimes in whiskey be a soapy taste? Sometimes I've okay. noticed that. And, Sometimes and, I attribute that to floral notes. Some, like. Certain floral notes remind me of soaps, for instance. Yeah. If there's a lavender, yeah, no, okay, but I'm not talking about. Going I'm on. not talking about that that floral aspect. I'm talking about an actual soapy. There's a. I would call that an off taste. Yeah. Well, I, 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 we found that bottling uh, at uh, descending at bottling, and you taste it afterwards, and it's a, it's disjointed, but b. And it takes a while to, for it to settle, but B, it has this, what, what we found to be soapy taste. So just a, a kind of a neither here nor there, other than it is one of the pieces that we actually do. So uh, we're talking back about the label. I did this exactly how I wanted to do it because it's straightforward, authentic, but it's also very simple and probably a lot of people like it or don't, you know, it's half and half. It's kind of like, because it doesn't necessarily express some of the, uh, you know, the value concept of a $100 bottle of whiskey because it's I think so it tastes simple. like very mature, beautiful, Speyside or Highland. No, I'm not talking right? about the, the flavor. I'm just talking about the, the label itself. Right? Oh, okay. So things like uh, n- natural color uh, with it and um, 
what was the other thing we oh no chill filtration right right um those are things that we don't believe that either of those things are are negatives to a product in other words there's a reason people add color as long as it's not artificial color right uh and that's if you're a big brand and you need to be on the shelf all the time next to something else you don't want something that is different you know it looks oh what's wrong with this bottle right so we don't find anything wrong with those things same with chill filtration there's nothing wrong with that if that's how you want to do it but it takes out the fatty acids i mean it takes out the highs and the low i mean mm-hmm. you know so so i said well we're not going to put it on there because too many people use it as a marketing thing it's like that that because it says that it's better well not necessarily okay uh, but it's one of these things that's stubbornness of, of saying, you know, I, I just, I make it the way I want it. So happens. I don't think we don't want to do that because it, we make better whiskey the way we make it. Right. Uh, but as we now go through, uh, and evolve the label, um, uh, you know, the batch is on the back num- batch number and what whiskeys are in it. All listed that's really on the cool. back that's label. the part that I really dig about your labels is that it gives all the info. The one right thing there. it does it doesn't because it can't is it doesn't give ages, right? Okay. Uh, th- however, the first bottling we did of the grain um, actually includes uh, the ages, and it kind of s- sneaked through because we were just this tiny little company, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the EU UK laws you you can't have uh, multiple ages. Uh, and if you put an age, it has to be the youngest, right? Right, right. However, we bottled and I actually listed all the ages and the first one went through. And then uh, John Glazer decided to pick up that fight uh, and, and make a point of it. So Scotch Whiskey Association and the UK government, they came back and recommitted to the law that says you can't do that. So that's when he created that three-year-old whiskey, right? Which is like 2% three years old and, and right, all the yeah, rest, yeah. you know, but... But at that point, the, the government uh, made, a ch- made that not only do they hold the producer responsible, but also if you're independent, the bottler is responsible. So I did the next batch of labels for the, for the second grain and the uh, first malt. We printed them all up, and my bottler said, you know, we love your labels, Doc. Said, but you know what? We're responsible now, and it has ages on it. You can't do that. So we had to do that. Have you seen that your stuff starting to get out there more? You guys have been doing it for seven years now, and it's is it starting to take hold? Some of these, uh, you know, especially like the blended grain whiskeys, that's starting to see some. You guys expanding your market? Are you upping the amount of whiskey you're putting out? Well, I'll answer it in two ways. We're certainly seeing uh, easier and more reception. Okay, Um, the and and we are we are now in the UK. We're, we're, so when we first bottled, we only introduced in the United States because the different bottle size in the UK and the US, 700, oh, yeah. 700 milliliters in the UK and EU, 750s here. And you can't sell either of those bottles in the other place. If you're a small little producer, you know, you say, well, so it took us, so we did the first bottling of the grain, 750s only in the US because it's where I had access to the marketplace. Um, uh, second year was uh, 750s in the U.S. only this and this. And then the third bottling, which is what we have in front of us. Uh, matter of fact, uh, this bottling is re- currently only being sold in the U.K. It's a, it, we have it here, but we have it, we're just going to be releasing it shortly, the third. It's the first time we did two different bottle sizes. 
because it now became a, a efficient in a way. So we do 700s and 750s in this, uh, as well as three different labels uh, for the one for the UK, EU, one for the US, and one for Canada because you have to add French to it. So, question about we are expanding. So we've expanded to multiple markets. We're in the we're certainly in the UK. We're in the EU in a handful of places, a little in Germany, Austria, France. Uh, we're in Canada. Um, the, upside, the, the upside and the downside of being a tiny little company, by tiny little company, I mean it's me and it's Willie Phillips. Okay? And when I can get my kids to you know, come in and lend me a hand, it's great. Uh, it's great because you get to do it exactly the way you want to do it. All right? The downside is you got to be out there doing it. This is a story. This isn't, um, you know, if people just see a blended grain on a shelf, you know, hmm, not, not so sure, right? But if you get a chance, that's what, that's so, what's so wonderful about the opportunity to come here and talk to people who are, uh, whiskey people are generally interested and interesting. They want to engage about it, right? And that takes a story somewhere else. And uh, so... But it's so much dependent. Once you get the initial out there, you have to be out there a lot. I unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, actually, a year ago, a year ago within the last week, I had uh, four-level uh, spine surgery, um, and so I was kind of not traveling for the past yeah, right. most of a year, uh, which means I wasn't out in markets and doing these things, and I was. Uh, so now I'm trying to get back out and doing mm -hmm. those things because you, you, you need to, you have to, yeah. um, and, uh, but certainly I've noticed, uh, as I say, it, intentionally back in 2010, this concept, no one was doing with the exception of John Glazer. Okay. And, and it, it was always very hard. The, the two hardest parts of this, uh, the grain people say, oh, grain whiskey, there's this perception. And the perception is cor was correct because, again, what it was being used for and how it was being handled didn't lend itself to. The problem with, with traditional grain whiskey that wasn't being blended, at a very young age, uh, it's, it, it, it was, it's kept in neutral casks, so it's mostly alcohol. It has some wonderful citrus uh, and floral notes, but it has then as alcohol. Okay. Uh, and so it has to be aged well. It has to, you know, and then old grain whiskeys are, can get ethereal. Um, but blend, that's why blending it is matters. Unless you find old, an old cask, old casks of grain whiskey are, that you find are spectacular, but some, anywhere in between, to me, you really have to blend it to get that structure, right? And so this third expression is a culmination of those first two. You've chosen some amazing grain whiskeys and some amazing single malts and created your own blend here. Right. So part of uh, the efficiency uh, of being able to do this, uh, when we, we did the bottling of these three at the same time, right? Uh, and it was a year and a half before that that we started this. We started out with 68 barrel samples, of, right? And over the course of about six to eight months we kind of went through them and, and narrowed it down and that was that time was simply how often i'd come over i come over four or five times a year to scotland and we'd do this got it down to about 20 and we sat down and got serious okay and and interestingly enough 
it only took us a day, right, to to do it because we had, we were familiar with the whiskey. We kind of yeah. knew w where they were going. Then it was simply an issue of doing mind. this. And then we would then we blended them, left them overnight. Had Willie's wife. We did it at Willie's uh, breakfast table. Uh, Willie's wife Margaret, who is has an absolutely terrific uh, whiskey palate, but also vocabulary. Uh, and for for whiskey and so we let her in she went through and then we went back and just played so this whiskey the blend is a blend of all of the whiskeys that are in the the first two in slightly different proportions because you know we didn't just say okay half of this half of this right it was using those whiskeys then we kind of recalculated based on the balance you want for a blend and all. so it is uh this one is 60 percent grain 40 percent malt and and whereas the first the grain is uh more nuanced and, and gentle and the um malt is more robust and flavorful complexity the blend uh to me is is the best whiskey we make to me the blend is the richest uh on, on every level it it's the most complete whiskey i've ever tasted uh in the fact that it's more subtle on the nose initially, right? Uh, and but then it hits the front of the palate, and that grain really lifts it. It's electric. I mean, it just kind of hits, right? It also the grain lifts the 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 the, uh, the final notes at the palate, the length, right? Where I find this uh, to be the so good is in the middle it's really it, brilliant on it, the nose so I, I get like almond butter and it's got some beautiful like uh, pineapple maybe like grilled pineapple and almond butter and some graham cracker but this has um so in to me in the middle it has all those i mean the, the depth of the flavors the texture actually uh it, the mouthfeel um everything about it uh and the other thing that i found most interesting because i don't come to this obviously as as a distiller or as a blender i learn blending so you know you you have a palate right and you bring your palate to it but figuring out is kind of like that peat issue it's like oops you, you know you you can blend it but you don't necessarily know what you, where you're going to end right yeah. so you learn these but what i find most intriguing about this is if you just poured these three whiskeys for someone uh most people would not think that they were related in the sense that you wouldn't think that this was a whiskey that was of these two it's its own no it definitely it, has it, its own character it, it's like got more coffee notes to it it's exactly it's it beautiful. has it has these notes that don't appear yeah in, in the, the other, other two you know it's the one plus one equals seven story mm -hmm. right and these are all in the same kind of flavor i mean in the same kind of price point at the local yeah. store yeah so they're all around a hundred dollars mm. as i say i mean i hundred and ten. I, I want to say, regular or um, retail shelf price uh, is a hundred and ten, and these two are hundred and twenty. Um, and you'll find them in most of the big markets, somewhere from ninety to a hundred dollars. Um, and interestingly enough, they're, they're actually in the UK. Sort of introduced, and what I will go, they'll be line priced because the assumption is always that grain whiskey is less expensive all right the fact of the matter is when you get to old older grade whiskeys 
and you get to whiskeys after a certain age, which is, I'm going to say, maybe eight or nine years old, the cost of whiskey is the same uh, because you, when they're young, you're paying only for um, the, the age, essentially, right? You're, the whiskey comes out, and so the, the ingredient cost, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, malt is more expensive, and B, the, the production method of a um, pot still slower over time takes a little longer. So the, the difference between the two costs versus continuous still, um, you know, for younger whiskeys. But then after that, what you're paying for is time, storage, and wood, right? So once you get to about eight years old, they even out because the percentage of, of the value of the ingredient becomes less and less, right? So, so that begs the question, where are you storing all your whiskey after you buy all these barrels? So we have a, we have a um, place in Dumbarton, uh, it, which is an independent bottler um, who bottles for us. Uh, and so, and we store our, we store our casks there. So and you do your marrying there as well? Exactly. Well, we do our, we do our, we do our, this marrying uh, at Willie's uh, table. Right. And and then we say so so the process is no this. but the extra six to yeah. six months yeah sitting. exactly it's, it, it, it's called uh, uh, Houston or we would call Houston Houston's um, and uh, they have a place in Dumbarton and one in Renfrew and uh, so the process is this as I say all the distilleries are willing to work with us uh, and so we say okay what's available. Right. And so we have these lists and we say, that looks interesting. That looks. And so then we go back and say, we'd love a barrel sample of that, 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 that. So that's how we ended up with, let's say, 68 to start. Right. We go through them. We work them out. Um, as, and as I say, you're not looking for indi individually standalone great whiskeys. You're looking for interesting whiskeys. Right? Whiskeys that'll marry together very well. Right. And have something that's distinctive or unique, uh, you, you know. And so. Uh, so then we go back and we figure out, okay, that's, this is what our blend is going to be. And we go back to the distillery and say, okay, we want that barrel, that barrel, that barrel, that. So then we buy those barrels. We do the blending. And, uh, at, at, um, Houston's, we then put, have our barrels there. We do about a batch is about, we use, um, it's not four full, but it's four barrels each, um, butts, sherry butts, mm -hmm. um, of, of each one. So we have those there. And then the remnants of the barrels, you know, that we have. And the purpose of, of doing, you know, this one being a blend of these is efficiency as much as anything. I mean, when you're a small company, if you can say, look, these are all interesting whiskeys, right? Uh, if you were just going to go out and try to do it and, and say, let's do that different, you know, the, it, it just adds one additional layer, which you don't need. But as they as say, this uh, turns out, it doesn't. As, as it turns <laughs> out, it works. Wow. Beautiful stuff. And so in the future, what are the next levels that you guys are going to be playing with? What, are you, what is your next release going to be? Are you going to expand from this line of three and no. add a new well, mark? At, at, at this point, the intention now is to get in a regular um, or a, a systematic way to, to release the new releases uh, of these three. The, the intent initially and still to this day is to have these three expressions. 
And then, so each one is, each time we bottle, it will, they will be different. They will be similar in the sense that it's my palate. Uh, and so stylistically, they will be similar to the preceding one. Um, but they will each be different. So the intention, so, the ne so we have in barrel the next batch of all three. Uh, we've given it a little more time in sherry cask. So they're each a little deeper in sherry. Uh, my, initial, my initial intention with the ones that we've done uh, were to have very light sherry characteristic. Uh, this one, uh, this next batch will be slightly deeper, longer, almost a year in, in the sherry cask. We're, we're trying to find, you know, on, on two separate levels. We want to create enough differences that people can say, you know, my, my hope is that you develop a brand where people see the bottle and say, oh, you know, that's exceptional. I, and, and no, I'm going to like that. And they also are going to know which, which edition. This one might be a little different, right? Um, so, but you're within the parameter that they know they're going to enjoy it because they've had it. And stylistic is going to be similar, but it's, it's enough interesting. So right now, the intention is that I, I've, there are two, I'm, I'm working on a small, just a, a small, what I call a retail version of 200 milliliters uh, in, in uh, the exceptional doggy bag. Um, so, you know, it just, uh, just for play. Uh, I do, I'm doing a couple of one-offs. Uh, I just, I did a bottling for my favorite cigar shop in London. Uh, so single barrel uh, for people who, who have a real interest. It wasn't my intention even to do that. But over the years of working on this project, every year I'd go into London. I fly into London and spend a few days to kind of get on time zone and enjoy London. And then I'd fly to Scotland, spend a week doing the work, come back and spend a few days in London again. They have a wonderful cigar community in London. I mean, there are places, there's a really, much like the whiskey groups here, right? Mm -hmm. So there are places you can smoke cigars. Our friends, I made terrific friends, in, in, and it's kind of my entree in, into the London market with my whiskey was through the cigars. So my favorite place is called Souter Cigars on Mount Street. And it's, it's hard to explain. It's just a unique experience. The people you run into there pass through the world from all over the world and there's about six seats and you know you're across the way and on a saturday you sit there and you smoke cigars and it, it, friends you know you know so i would go in there uh, and smoke cigars and i got to know a few people it's the kind of place you know uh three months later you know i come back and i walk into the shop and they kind of go don where you been yeah, you know, and you go and you sit down. It's like no time has passed at so, all. Huh? Yeah. So then uh, we're sitting there, and, and I, I brought a bottle of uh, our whiskey. Actually, it was the malt. Uh, and for the guys, and we're port tasting. And they loved it. Where, where can I get this? And I said, Well, you can't. We don't sell it in the UK. And I said, Well, that doesn't make any sense. I said, Well, I know, bottle, blah, blah, blah. So then, uh, then we did end up bottling for the UK. But one of the guys had said, you know, I have this thing. My daughter's getting married and all our, my friends are whiskey. I want to bring them something special. You know, but we were sold out. The, the first edition of, of the malt, which was only 1,200 bottles, uh, Spirit Journal uh, said it was one of the top 25 whiskeys of all time. And it, it, it all went out pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, right? that'll make it so. Uh, and so, so I found him a case and I got 
Anyway, standing there one Saturday, and the owner of the shop's name is Lawrence Davis. Terrific guy. Uh, and those, matter of fact, those interested in cigars, uh, YouTube video things, Souter Cigars, uh, Lawrence Davis, huge number of following followers and wonderful cigar readers. So I'm sitting there, and he said, uh, he said would any chance you'd be willing to, he said, I was talking to William Grant, but I don't really want to do that. Said, any chance you'd make whiskey for, for me shop? And, I, you know, I said, well, I'm really not geared or set up to do that because if you're a little company, anything you do takes your resources away from what you're doing. And then I thought to myself, you know, the whole reason I'm doing this. So you can sit there in that cigar it, library? <laughs> the only thing better than sitting in that cigar shop smoking cigars is to then be able to say, oh, yeah, and by the way, that's my whiskey, right? So I said, okay. So it took us two years. We I found it, and we just... Uh, we just released it uh, about uh, three months ago. Uh, it's fabulous. Um, and uh, it's a blended malt. And it was a barrel. It's like 400-some bottles of, of seven, 700s. Uh, single it was malt. Full, single barrel, barrel. Single malt whiskey. Single barrel blended malt whiskey. Okay, okay. Yeah. Beautiful. So, uh, so now there's a couple of other uh, interested parties. Uh, and so that I'm, I'm going to turn that well and it turns out Souter is expanding and he's got now four shops in china uh and he's got three more in london and so now it's become you probably a, vial, it's time a, to go. a viable on. business uh, uh you know as opposed to just doing it because you know because because of what we talked about so well, cheers, man. It was wonderful to have you in. Thank you for doing a, a, a new experiment for the Spirit Guide Society podcast, interview style, here on a Thursday afternoon with Don Sutcliffe from the Exceptional Whiskey Company. Check it out. If they don't have it at your local liquor store, just ask them. They'll buy it. What do they have to lose? It's awesome whiskey. Exactly. Cheers, Don. Thanks for coming out. Cheers, Pedro. Thanks so much. Yeah, good luck. And when you get that new round of expressions, let's kick it off again here at the Whiskey Society in Seven Grand Whiskey Bar, downtown Los Angeles. We will indeed. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget, drink to remember. Remember.